at John 13 today, but I want to just talk a little bit about why we're having a message like this now. So usually this would be something that we would speak at the beginning of next year, or if we had one more Sunday service after Christmas was all done to kind of get us ready for the next year. But we don't have that opportunity this year because we're going to go straight to having Christmas Sunday and then going into the new year. And I want us to start this holiday season off right, that we really understand what does it mean for us to look back at this year and then look ahead to next year. And I mean, you've you've seen plans, you've seen uh, different stories. I'm sure you've seen something on TikTok. Or, or, or Facebook watch or our Instagram stories that tells you, hey, here's my plan for the next year. And there's somebody who's like just dancing and they're pointing to different parts of the screen. I'm going to do this and this thing. And then by the end, by February, they, they're not doing any of it. Why is it that we have all of these plans to do all of these different things and then we never follow through for the entire year? And I submit to you part of the issue is a lot of our plans when we look backwards and then look forward have to do with us and they're very self-centered in their scope. Even when it comes to things that are great and seem very spiritual, like getting into our Bible more and doing all those different things, a lot of the times we never look at what it really means for us to have an impact for Jesus because we're busy looking at what we want to do in the next year and what we've done in the past year. And so I, w- I was thinking about like um, when we when we go shopping for, for Christmas gifts, when we go shopping for any type of gift, a lot of the times when we go shopping for other people, the reason why we do it is not just, just to make them happy. It also makes us feel good to give. Giving is a- actually something that causes us to feel good about. And so like if you're someone here and you don't like giving gifts, there's something really wrong with you, okay? I'm, I'm serious because it does actually cause you to feel better physically when you give. But when we're talking about spiritual things and we're talking about a, a divine scope to our life, it has to be more than just feeling good. So here's the question I want you to think about. Looking back at this year, did you just come to church live a spiritual life, read your Bible? Did you do all those things that we should do as Christians, like that Christianity 101 stuff? Did we do it to feel better or did we do it to build our relationship closer to Jesus? Because I want you to think about the outcome of what that means. If we did all of the right things but we did it really just to kind of self-soothe, if this is the reason why we do these things, There is no benefit for anyone else because all of the the time and strength and effort was done in order for you to do what? Feel better. Now, if we change it, and the reason why we did all of the things that we should do as good followers of Jesus Christ, if we do these things, if this is the reason why we do them in order to grow closer to Jesus, there is no limit to how much we can serve other people because Jesus says he not only came to give us life, but to give us an abundant life. And part of that abundant life is giving and giving towards other people. 
And so I want us to look at a very familiar portion of scripture today to talk about what it means for us to look back and look ahead when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' commitment, what we're going to see in chapter 13 is that Jesus' commitment to God's will. Here's what I want you to see. The way that you and I stay central and stay engaged in the, in the lives of other people is for us to first be engaged in our relationship with Jesus. So here's the thing. If you go to God looking for something, looking for stuff, looking for his comfort, you will find it. But that comfort should then lead you to go, continue to go to God, not only looking for comfort for yourself, but how you can serve God in this world that we live. And so our commitment to the will of the Father is what causes us to not only care about our church family and our physical family, but our confidence that God is with us is significant because then that's the kind of pace that is set for our life. So here's the thing. It benefits you and I not only to have a relationship with Jesus, it benefits you and I to look at how we can serve uh, the world through Jesus because that is what it means to be a well-balanced believer. And so our goal today is to look at John 13 and see what does it mean for us to care about others while we are worried and focused on being in the center of God's will. Because if you and I are in the center of God's will, it will lead us not only for us to have a life that's abundant, but for us to lead others into the same abundant life. That's what we need to look forward to in 2023. What are we doing to serve Jesus that causes other people to come and to know Jesus? That's the difference. Sometimes these these New Year's resolutions that we have are so self-focused, when we fail at them, it's that's it, we're done. But if we realize that our focus for 2023 is to do to the the will of the Father in order to serve other people, there's no limit to what can happen then. So let's all stand. Let's turn to John uh, 13, and we're going to read the first 17 verses. The word of God says in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not realize now, but afterwards you'll understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet because he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash other, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should, should do just as I have done for you. 
Truly, truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I want to read 18 as well. I am not speaking about all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. So this is a this is a familiar portion of scripture. This is one about Jesus washing uh, the disciples' feet. And, and because of this portion of scripture, there are actually a, a lot of us who may have even grown up this way, that f- feet washing was part of the, the ceremony, ceremonial traditions and part of our spiritual, uh, spiritual tradition and part of our experience in order to teach us what, what this was all about. Feet washing at the time was, was a very cultural thing to do. Uh, if, you, if you know what kind of, of, of footwear people had back then, it was mostly sandaled. Everything was, 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 was open. There were, there were no socks back then, you know. So when someone was walking great distances, by the time they got to your house, their, their feet were nasty. And the best thing that you could do for them was to wash their feet to say, hey, not only are you allowed in my house, not only do I want to take care of you, I don't want your nasty feet in my house. So they cleaned them, right? I mean, there's practical reasons why, why they did this. But the idea of submitting yourself to wash someone's feet is an act that's usually done by a servant. So for someone, for for the homeowner to do it, it was a big deal. For Jesus to do it was a monumental thing for it to happen. And so I want us to think about it because sometimes I feel like, I don't know about you, do you feel like sometimes the religious things that we do get so commonplace that we forget the significance of why we do them, right? I mean, I, I, I say this jokingly, but remember when we were having communion with those prepackaged things, right? I guarantee you, half of us were not thinking about the body and the blood that was broken and shed for us. We were thinking about how in the world did they get this thing to stay in a cup for two years? What are we drinking, right? And then, and then you heard it. When, when it came out, it was time for communion. You heard it, it was, uh, right? Our mind got off of, of the goal because something got in the way. And I think sometimes when we think about feet washing, for those of us who didn't grow up with, 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 with uh, feet washing as part of our spiritual experience, we look at those who have washed feet, whether in, in weddings or part of, a, of, of the sacraments or, or a significant time, and we look and they go, yuck, why do they still do that? That was cultural. That has nothing to do with Christianity. And we forget the point of why it was done. And sometimes because we grow up in different uh, spiritual experiences, we don't realize that there are lessons that the Bible wants to teach us that are extremely practical. Why, why did this happen? So I want us to look with, with, the, with the context of why is it important for us to see the servanthood of Jesus as we look back and we look ahead. Because I feel what Jesus did His scope was bigger than just the moment of washing the disciples' feet. He was thinking about the past, but also engaged what was going on in the future. And you see that when we look. So let's look at verse 1. So before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Now, that's a very eloquent way of saying it, but we know full well, it's not going to be this peaceful transition from him just all of a sudden dying of natural causes and then going to the Father. What is going to happen? When Jesus says that his hour is going to come, what is he talking about? He's talking about being betrayed, 
right? We'll, we'll read about it in a minute. He's talking about being arrested. He's talking about being tortured. He's ta- about, uh, talking about being beaten. He's talking about being nailed to a cross. He's talking about being hung by the cross. He's talking about dying slowly. He's talking about the fact that the Father will literally not look at him so that he can become sin for us. We're talking about him. The, we're talking about the death. We're talking about the burial. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So whenever we see Jesus talk about and think about that is our, whether it's here or not, it is very significant. Jesus' hour had everything to do with paying the price for our sins. So for, for the Son of Man to know exactly what was going on during this time, Jesus had a pretty good idea of what happens. And so he knows that these things are coming. He knows that, that the death, the burial, and resurrection are going to happen. And so the Bible says, as he's thinking forward to this, this, this Passover festival, he's thinking forward to, he's looking to head about what's going to happen. He starts to revert and to think back about what's happening right now. And here's where his focus is. Here's where our focus needs to be. Having loved his own who were in the world, the Bible says that he loves them how long? To the end. This is one of the most beautiful sentences that that the Bible says about Jesus. Not only does he love us, he loves us how long? To the end. That's why Jesus, when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. And so this, this, this loving, this longing, the understanding what's going to happen, he looks at the present to see what he can do now. And I'm telling you, we have no clue. Jesus did. He had a clue about what's going to happen in the future. You and I have no clue what's going to happen in 2023. We're going to plan. We're going to do the best that we can to make sure that as a church that we're moving forward, you and your family are going to do the same thing, that we're going to try our best to not only maintain a spiritual experience, but grow closer to Jesus. But we have no clue what's going to happen in 2023. And you and I who've lived in this day and age, we understand the significance of that because you and I transitioned from 2019 to 2020. And we understand that that, that, that that leap was ridiculous. And then 2020 lasted about three years, right? I mean, it was a long time. So we're going through these. We understand that, the, that nothing is promised. Tomorrow isn't promised. So what do we do? How do we, how do we plan looking back at what we've done and looking towards the future? We look at what we can do at the present time. Paul puts it this way, we forget those things that are behind, but we press forward for the high calling of Jesus Christ. That we understand we may not have done everything perfectly, we may have made a lot of mistakes, but we can't use the mistakes of the past to cause us to be to, to fail in the future. So he looks at the present, and this the present is that he loves his own that are in the world, and he loves them to the end. Now, This is his focus. He's looking back. He's looking forward. He's focused on the ones that he loves, his disciples. Our focus needs to be on the people that God has put in our path in order to lead them to Jesus, in order to lead them into a closer walk with Jesus. So we're talking about what we would call our circles, our spheres of influence, our family, our friends, our coworkers, the the co-laborers that are in church. All of us have these circles that only we can reach. And so Jesus, says, I'm caring about my circle, and I'm going to ask you, as you look back and look forward, are you going to care for your circle? Are you going to do what you can to bring someone closer to Jesus than they are right now? So let's read verse 2. 
So now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. So there's, a, there's this back story that we know about, God the Father knows about, God the Son knows about, the Spirit knows about, but everyone that's living around there besides Judas Iscariot knows nothing about. There's this deep evil undercurrent that's going on in the middle of Jesus trying to serve his disciples. And I'm here to tell you that in this process of us looking back and looking ahead and looking at what we can do to to serve people this year in order to stay in the center of God's will, I'm here to tell you there is an evil undercurrent that is going to be existing the entire year. There There are going to be attacks. There is a spiritual realm that we can't see physically but's working behind the scenes. And, And as we strive to follow the Spirit of God, there are spirits in the world who are going to come against us. And we have to be cognizant of this, that there are bigger things than just us. That's what I'm saying. When we're looking at looking forward and looking ahead, it can't be about just our personal New Year's resolutions because there's a bigger thing happening. The center of God's will also includes us realizing that there are bigger forces than us. That's why we have to stay in the center of God's will, because God sees things that we don't. And the only way for us to have any kind of influence and spiritual significance in 2023 is to stay close to the Father, because the Father gave us the Son, and the Son sent the Spirit. It's the only way for it to happen. So there's this evil undercurrent. Judas knows what he's going to do already. And this is how the Bible words it. I love John's wording. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So how do we deal with the emotional trauma recognizing that there is this evil undercurrent. Because think about it for a second. Saying a sentence like that in any room is just freaky, right? If I just said what? Yo, there's an evil undercurrent in the room. You're like, uh, I didn't see the septic tank back up. What are you talking about? What evil undercurrent? What do you mean evil undercurrent? And then those of us who have any kind of spiritual experience, we're like an evil undercurrent means that there are some spirits and some demons and a bunch of stuff going on, and it may scare the snot out of us. Like, what in the world, what do you mean this evil undercurrent? What do we do about it? And so this anxiety creeps in because we know that there's something bigger than us because some of us aren't ready to handle the fact that there's something bigger than us. We either are new in our faith or we become so self-centered in our life that we realize that there's, that there's something bigger than us, we're not ready to handle it. So Jesus gives us the formula, how do we handle a spiritual realm that's bigger than us? He says this, everything that I have comes from the Father. And the Father has given me authority over everything, even Judas Iscariot. See, this is the the thing about Jesus. Jesus loves us so much, he knows that he is going to be betrayed, and he allows it to happen. In order for the will of God to be fulfilled, that you and I will come to Jesus. He allows it to happen. So Jesus knows that even the evil under, have you guys ever thought about this? How, how crazy this is? Even the evil undercurrents in the spiritual realm are under the sovereignty of God. It didn't catch him by surprise. 
Do you realize there are no red alerts in heaven? There are no emergency bells to ring in heaven. There are, there's no fire alarm in heaven. God has been victorious before time began. And so when, he's, when the Father says, I've given everything to you, Jesus not only has the confidence in that, because he's the Son of God, he goes, I have this power. Everything that I have has come from God. And he knows that I've come from God. I've been sent here for a mission. When I'm done, I'm going back to God. So Jesus, when he looks at his death, when Jesus looks at the burial, he always sees the death and the burial in view of the resurrection. And that's the way that you and I are supposed to live our Christianity. We don't live it in just that, that Jesus was this martyr, that Jesus was this great teacher, that he was the first one to die. No, no, Jesus died in order for us to live. And the reason why we're able to live is because Jesus didn't stay dead. And when he rose again from the grave, he showed us that he had the power over sin, the power over death. And so when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, man, he means it. Even the evil undercurrents, even the struggles that you're going through right now, your anxiety, your pain, your history, your physical ailments, it is sometimes very hard for us to grasp or believe that sickness, trauma, death, loneliness, anxiety, conflict, all are under the sovereignty of God. Were they created by God? No. They're a part of this evil undercurrent that happened because of our parents, Adam and Eve, sinning. All of these things were allowed in, but God has allowed these things in order for us to be able to realize that we need to rely on the one who's over all these things. And so Jesus knows his authority comes from somewhere. He knows where, he's, where he came from, and he knows where he's going. So for us, what does that mean? When we look at our life and we look at what we go through, realize that, that our spiritual life comes from Jesus Christ. And so in essence, the moment that we receive Jesus Christ, we know where we come from. Before the Bible says we were enemies of God, we were foreign from God. Now we are children of God. We know where we come from. And the thing is, if you know Jesus, you know where you're going. And so when we look at our conflict and we look at our anxiety and we look at all the issues that we go through, our conflict, our sickness, we look at our sickness and conflict in light of the resurrection of Jesus. That not only do we have victory over sin, that one day, no matter what happens, we will still be in the presence of the Father. That's the thrust of how we serve that we know where we come from and we know where we're going and we know who's in charge. Let's look at verse four. So remember, he knows all these things are happening, right? The, most of the people in that room have no clue what's happening, but we get to look back, we know what's happening. Judas Iscariot knows what's happening. Jesus knows what's happening. God the Father sure knows what's happening. The Spirit is allowing all this and giving comfort. This is it's a small group who knows what's going on, but a significant group. So here's what Jesus does. When after they eat, okay, 
There are times we talked about in Ecclesiastes, there's times to pray, there's times to cry, there's times to do certain things. But in this point, Jesus, knowing the evil undercurrent, doesn't go and pray. What does he do? He lays aside his outer clothing, he takes a towel, and he he ties it around himself, and he pours water into a basin, and he begins to do something. What does he do? He washes his disciples' feet, and he dries them with the towel around them. Now, I want you to think about the significance of of verse 4, and verse 5 telling us the scene because if you know anything about feet washing anytime that you know someone is going to do it you know what's going to happen it's like you know and like when you grew up and, and you see your your mom and your, your mom going to the refrigerator and starting to put out pull out ingredients you know she's about to make something right when you hear when, when you smell the food you know that dinner is almost ready when you see somebody laying out their outer clothing taking a towel tying it around themselves and putting water into a basin culturally you know someone's about to wash our feet but it's Jesus doing it. So I want you to think about the disciples during this time, what, what they're thinking. They're like, what is, what is he doing? This is Jesus. Isn't there a servant that can do that? Isn't there someone else that can do that? And no, Jesus goes, no, no, I'm going to do that. And for us, as we look back and we look forward, I want you to realize it's not our responsibility to find someone else to do something. Jesus called us to wash people's feet. The worst thing in the world for you to do is to go like this. You know, I'm really burdened about so-and-so. Or I'm really burdened that we plant the church in this town. I'm really burdened about this. Rob, go take care of that. I ain't burdened for it. If I am, I'm going to join you on the cause, but it is not your spiritual gift to give other people jobs. So when Jesus tells you to put the towel around you, put the towel around you. Don't hand the towel to somebody else. It's not your job to tell someone else to wash feet. It's your job to wash feet. How good are we with this? Because I believe a lot of the times we're looking for, for, for this commercial and consumer type of church experience where everything is given to you. And, if, and the one thing that we don't have that, that you're looking for, it's like, well, I guess this is not God's will for us. And God's just saying, man, grab a towel and serve. Do something. You're burdened for that? I really, I really have a heart for this ministry, but, but just do it. I'm not qualified. God, God will qualify you. Trust me. He'll take care of it. He, he'll give you the towel. So there's this towel that just, they, so they, they, they see this scene. And then verse six, Simon, Peter. Now we know Peter as being one of the inner circle of Jesus. We know Peter as an apostle was someone, one of, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. But Peter has a big mouth. And what Peter does sometimes, especially before the resurrection, Peter likes to say things that, are, that sound good, but are like totally off, right? So it sounds good. Here's the question. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And it's like, hey, hey, Sherlock, yeah, the to- what did you think he was going to do? No, I'm wearing the towel for my health. What? Yes, I'm going to wash your feet, all right? So he wants to engage this story. Or you could read it this way. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Oh, here comes the pharisaical part. Right? Well, my feet? Why mine? And then Jesus answered him, what I'm, what I'm doing you don't realize, but afterwards you'll understand. And so I like he doesn't go, I love the, don't you love the mercy and grace of Jesus? Aren't you glad Jesus isn't like you, right? That doesn't go, yeah, dummy. No, he goes, 
what I'm doing, you, you don't, you're not going to get, but you're going to understand afterwards. And so, so here's, here's where Peter puts his foot in his mouth. Verse 8, he says this, you will never wash my feet. Now, okay, what did he mean by this? I mean, it, it's in print. So, it, I mean, and then the Holy Spirit left it there. So, like, Peter's in heaven right now saying, why do they have to keep reading this verse, right? But, like, you will never wash my feet. Like, did he mean it like in a derogatory way against Jesus? No, it was kind of, he was trying to be super spiritual. He was saying, oh, Jesus, you'll never have to wash my feet. I'm there for you, right? And it's like, okay, dude, like, really? You know, Jesus is ready to go. And he's like, oh, you'll never wash my feet. And so Jesus comes right back. He says, yo, if you don't let me wash your feet, what's going to happen? You have no part with me. So I want you to think about what Jesus says in light of us looking back and looking forward, how we stay in the center of God's will, serving other people. If you deny what Jesus tries to do in your life, you're not going to have a part with him. And you say, well, I've received Jesus as my savior. If If you don't want to be put on a shelf, when Jesus does something in your life and moves you to do something, you better do it. There are a lot of believers today who have disqualified themselves from serving Jesus because Jesus has given them something to do and given them the tools to do it, and they said, no, you'll never wash my feet. They made sounds uber spiritual, but Jesus goes, all right, you're not ready yet, and he puts them on a shelf. So Peter says this, and of course he has to go overboard, right? He went one way, so now he has to go the other. You'll never wash my feet. So now he has to do the antithesis of that. You'll never wash my feet too. Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, right? And this is the, the, the course correction sometimes that we have to make in our life. The further we get away from being in the center of God's will, the more Jesus has to do to us. Do you guys realize that? That like, if you started by just like, you know, let's say not reading your Bible, then you stop praying, then you stop going to church, then you stop hanging out with God's people, then you stop serving other people, the way back is going to be a little bit more drastic than than it would have been if you would have stopped and did what Jesus told you. So Simon Peter realizes this, he goes, man, I went from going this, I stuck my foot in my mouth, I better have Jesus cleanse all of me. Some of us need that full cleansing from Jesus. Some of us for the first time, because we've never really understood what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but some of us have this relationship with Jesus, but but we've made the statements, we've said it. You'll never have to do that. You you know, I'm just not going to do that. And now God has to make that course correction in our life. Are we going to allow him to do that in order for us to move forward in 2023? Look at verse 10. One who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet because he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Now, Jesus enters in with a very evangelistic gospel statement, and hopefully you don't miss what he's saying here. Okay, so in our minds, here's how it works, right? You don't have to wash any of me, right? 
Please wash all of me. Please get all of it as it's this continual thing. And Jesus says that you guys, the only part that needs to be washed is the part that's dirty. If you've taken a bath, you don't need to take another bath, but not all of you are clean. And so what he's saying is the gospel cleanses us from head to toe. And when we come to Jesus in this, it asking for him to, to clean us, it is not for salvation again. It is for us to keep the fellowship with God alive. Here's the thing. Once you come to Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all of your sin. When it comes to whether you're going to go to heaven or not, it all depends on whether you've trusted in Jesus. But there's going to be times in your life after you've trusted Jesus that you're going to say stupid things like, I don't want you to wash any of me. And when you finally come to yourself, you're going to have to come to Jesus for the cleansing in order to regain fellowship with him. But the relationship never breaks. This is where this cleaning comes from. But then he says at the end, there's not all of you, not all of you here are clean. And now you got to bring it back to where we are. This spiritual undercurrent, this evil undercurrent also is present, right? Who's with them in this room? Judas. Do you guys, have you ever thought about like now looking back, it's like the most awkward scene in the world, but they didn't realize it. Jesus did. Judas did, in the midst of everything that Jesus did, in the midst of everything the disciples were accomplishing, Judas, the betrayer, was there. I'm telling you, in the midst of you striving to do whatever God has for you, the spiritual undercurrent will not only just be in the background, under the surface, it will also be present there will always be this thorn in your flesh trying to stop you from serving Jesus. The problem is some of us are so self-centered, we are our own thorn in the flesh and we think everybody else is. Some of us have caused our own thorns in the flesh. And we're never going to get to the place to be able to realize what the real spiritual undercurrent is until we first take care of all the mess that's in our life. Some of us have, and, and this, is a, this is a psychological term, and you may understand as soon as I say what it is, some of us have what we call a martyr complex. And what a martyr complex means, we're basically Eeyore every day. Woe is me, everything's bad, everything's against me, I'm the only one that's serving. Elijah has had this, had this complex, right? But the fact of the matter is, if we realize that Jesus is sovereign, and that Jesus has cleansed us from everything, we will do everything in our power to remain in the center of God's will that will cause us to stop being a bunch of Eeyores. Someone who recognizes God's sovereignty and strives to be in the center of God's will is someone who does not or is cleansed from having a martyr complex. Because once you realize how big God is, you're going to realize how small you are, and you're going to realize you ain't doing any of this. God's doing it. Let's look at verse 12. So when Jesus washes their feet, so he does it. So he washes. Um, I want you to think about this too. Whose feet did he also wash? Judas's feet, right? I'm telling you, aren't you glad you're like Jesus isn't like you, right? I mean, because think about it for a second. Jesus could have just said, you're the one. Get out of here, right? Like, you know, arrest them. No, he let them. He, he let Judas see all of this. Why? So that when Judas stands before God, Judas had also had every opportunity to receive Jesus. That's why the Bible says that none of, that all of us are without excuse. 
We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How do we? Because we all have we all have had the opportunity to not only see what sin is, but see the effects of sin and see what happens. And, and, and all of us are going to have to deal with the Father the same way. What did we do with Jesus? Ju- Judas is going to have to answer that same question. What did he do with Jesus? So when Jesus washes their feet, he puts on his outer clothing, he reclines again, and he says, do you know what I've done for you? Now, I love that phrase, he, he, he reclined again, okay? So when you look in the original Greek, what it says is basically is that Jesus rested because he was tired. He just washed all these guys' feet, right? Yuck, right? Not only that, I mean, you mean it's Jesus, and so you know Jesus probably had that perfectionist, he really washed him, right? He washed him good right? And so he's tired at this point. And so he reclines back. And so you can just see Jesus taking like a heavy breath. Do you guys realize what I did for you? And he tells him, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you're, that's, the, that's my title. That's right. I am those two things, right? He says, this is what you call me. And those titles have, I mean, significance to it, right? Lord, right? Not everybody gets that title, right? Teacher, only certain people get that title. So, and then, so he says in verse 14, let's go forward. So if I, your Lord and teacher, right? These people who you recognize being in the position that I have, if someone this high washes your feet, which is this low, what does he tell them then? You ought to wash what? One another's feet. Now, this is important for us to realize. It's not just that we wash feet, It's not that we just serve other people. In the room that Jesus is speaking in, part of the conversations that these guys were having was, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? So there was this ego trip going on in the room. When the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, got to see something the others didn't see, you better believe the other ones were like, yo, how come you got to see that? There was this animosity in the room, and Jesus goes, if I did it for you, I want you to wash one another's feet. And so two things Jesus says about the will of God when serving other people. You do it together and you don't do it alone, but you continually build on one another. That's what church is. Church is a bunch of people who wash each other's feet. That's who we are. Warts and all, guys. This is, we, how could we ever think about reaching the world if we can't even reach one another? So if verse 15 goes, for I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. Hey, do what I've done. And then verse 16 and 17 to close out. He says, here's the point. Here's what it means to look ahead the right way. A servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So he's saying, hey, here's the instructions. Jesus did not give us an opinion piece. He didn't say, hey, here's my op-ed. If you want to follow it, cool, right? This is my TED Talk. No, no, no. Jesus said, God sent me. I'm sending you. Do what I tell you to do. And what does Jesus tell you to do? Preach the gospel. Yeah, but how? By washing feet. So this year, instead of being so focused on ourselves, I want us to focus on this. What can we do to stay in the center of God's will by serving other people? What pair of feet can we wash 
that God is sending us to. So I want to read it over some of our community group questions, all right? So when you read this passage of Scripture, right, how does the passage paint the picture of Jesus' commitment to God's plan for his life, all right? What, what does Jesus say his commitment level is? What about the disciples' commitment level? How would you compare these to your own life? So compare Jesus' commitment level and the disciples' commitment level. Question two, both Judas and Peter have very differing reactions to Jesus' behavior. Both are still wrong. We don't see Jesus and Judas' interaction, but we learn from this account that he has his own plans and those don't align with Jesus. So how does Jesus steer his disciples back? Question three, Jesus' next steps will allow him to fulfill his calling and he'll put the disciples in place for a greater work of redemption. So Jesus has an end goal and it includes other people having goals. So the question is this, what do we do in order to be intentional, not only to reach the goals that we feel God has for us, how do we help other people reach those goals? And I want you to think about this. This is a big one that I want you to take home with you. Have you ever considered what ripple effects you have to those that you are connected to? What does it mean to serve others so that they also will serve others? What legacy are we leaving when we talk about looking forward? Is it just about us or is it about what we can do in order to affect what other people do to serve the kingdom of God? Let's-